Hey, welcome to Common Ground Church Bloberg. We are so delighted that you've joined us. We're a church committed to filling our hearts and our world with the life of Jesus. We do this by pursuing His presence, by being formed into His image, and then by loving the world on the mission He's called us to. Hey, if you've got any further questions about who we are or what we're up to, why don't you check out our website at cgbloberg.co.za. Enjoy the message. We trust it'll serve you in your journey of finding and following Jesus. Okay, let's get into it. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as a hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your hearts and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. What's pleasant to your soul? I think of this in verse 7 where it says, But fools despise wisdom and instruction. I have a burden in my heart, and that's why we're looking in this series that we have a generation of people who are not lacking in a lot of stuff. We have a generation of people who are not lacking in self-confidence and the teaching that you can believe in yourself and you can do anything, you can accomplish anything. It seems like we're not lacking in passion or wholeheartedness. We can win a World Cup as a nation despite all the odds being against us. We don't seem to be lacking in self-confidence. Our generation, unlike my generation, seems to stand up on a stage and and do whatever it is they're called to do. I don't even think necessarily that if we sorted out our education, everything would get sorted. But I do think, and I have this burden in my heart, that one of the greatest lacks that we have in our society, close and far, is a lack of wisdom, a lack of wisdom, a lack of the ability 
to pull together the complex strands of life and leave things in some wise middle ground. It seems like there is a world that is increasingly either left or right, liberal or conservative, Democrat or Republican, if we'll use uh, American terms, hard work or all play, pro-life or pro-choice. We live in a world that seems to be very binary about how we behave, and it causes us to have a very, uh, what I would call just a great lack of wisdom. Just the other day, Nick calls me and tells me uh, what she's witnessed. This is a few days ago. Maybe you were in the traffic. Um, And uh, she watches as two men get out of the car after a two-robot altercation which started with words and ended with fists on the R27. How does that happen? Some people go, no, that's just angry people. That's pent up. That's, that's the economy's fault because there's probably some guy who's facing you know, some issue at the end of the day. Maybe he's lost his job and he's trying to find another one and all the anger is causing him to get out of his car in the middle of the traffic and have a boxing match with another person. Maybe too much drickus in his life. <laughs> to me, it's a lack of wisdom. It's the inability to conflict It's the inability to understand what can I change and what can't I change. And the things I can change, how should I change them? What should I do about them? We just live in a strange world that's very binary that says, if I can fix it, it doesn't matter how I fix it. I can steamroll my way through it. I can box the person if that's what needed, but I will do what I need to do. It's a strange and polarizing space in which we live. And yet I thank God so much for these beautiful books like the book of Proverbs for which we will be walking through over the next couple of uh, weeks as we look at the ancient wisdom that has been time-tested and powerful to shape societies. So much of, of what we love about Western civilization is thanks to books just like this one that have ultimately over time become embedded in the way that we think in the way that we behave, in the way that we interact. The reason society works and manners happen and, and, and families can enjoy uh, robust and difficult conversations and you can argue with your brother or your sister is because the, the book of Proverbs has for centuries taught people that you can conflict but you can do it in a loving way and you can come out more in love with each other and you can come out better people because you were taught how to conflict. Hey, it's my hope that we will learn wisdom over the next while. The the Google uh, kind of study of wisdom, the word itself, the graph is a very sad graph in that the usage of the word wise has been in decline up till about 2016. It seems to have had a spike over the last five years for whatever reason, I don't know. Does anybody know as uh, one of the latest, you know, maybe Taylor Swift has put wise in one of her songs? Um, But it seems like the concept of wisdom and and, and being wise is on the decline. Tim Keller tries to define wisdom. He says, wisdom is a lot more than just having high moral values. It is knowing what the right thing to do is in the majority of life situations when the moral rules don't apply. The most right and virtuous word or deed done at the wrong time, done in the wrong way or in the wrong order 
can blow everything up. We do, have you ever had a situation like that? Where you go, I, I tried this last week and everybody loved it. Now I did the same thing I did last week and everyone's hating me for it. But the subtle difference of last week's situation to this week's situation has meant that there wasn't a one-size-fits-all way of engaging. You did the right thing last week and this week, it caused everything to blow up. That's wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to take into account the various aspects of life that we want. And, and, and this is probably one of the most complex things. You see, in so many ways, you're going, I want to grow and, and become a person of maturity. Cool. That's what I want. I want to personally grow. But I also want relational peace for myself and the people around I want this to be an environment of, of love. I, in fact, not just relational peace with the people I love. I want societal flourishing. So I, I, I want to grow. I, I want relational peace. I want the society to be good. I want, I want the future to flourish. I want what I do to be good for future generations, not just for now and today. Not only that, I, I need integrity. I want to know that what I do today, I won't be ashamed of tomorrow. This is a lot of complicated stuff. And not only that, before God, I want to live a holy and righteous life. You throw all of that into the bucket of a situation at work where somebody's giving you a, a difficult conversation or a tricky task or asking you something, and suddenly in a moment, you're faced with, how do I do good to them? How do I do good to myself? How do I face the future and make sure it's good for the future? How do I serve and worship God in this moment? And suddenly, there are such a multifaceted set of dynamics that make wisdom the most necessary thing. Maybe you can look at this uh, kind of overcomplicated Venn diagram with a couple of extras. But really, that is a, a sense of the complication of life. You've got personal flourishing. We, we want to be happy human beings. We've got societal flourishing. I want all the, the people around to live in a flourishing way. But I also want holiness and morality to be true. I want truth and honesty to, to, to kind of flourish. I want mercy and grace to come from my life. Teacher Sharon uh, is an, uh, one of our kids' teachers. Love her. She, uh, we were talking about wisdom last night with the girls. And uh, Chloe says to me, well, my teacher says that it's just the THINK acronym, T-H-I-N-K. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring or important? Is it necessary? And is it kind? That's a pretty cool way to think of wisdom. But you get into a life situation and suddenly you go, I don't have time to go, ta, 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 ha, e, n, ka, you've got to grow a kind of instinct. And in a way, this is what this diagram speaks of, is that life is complicated. And wisdom exists in that tiny little center point. There, where you are trying your best to thread a golden thread through all the various situations of life that you can find a way to honor all of those where all of them overlap to some degree or another and you get to live it out. If you wanna live a wise life, it's gonna be hard to also live a fast and furious life because in so many ways it takes thought, it takes care, it takes prayer, it takes time to work out how's this going to be good for them and good for me? How's this going to be kind and merciful and gracious? How's this gonna be truthful and honest while at the same time it's going to be uh, glorifying to God. Settle it that life is complicated. Some of us would love to just go, it's not complicated, just do the right thing. If it wasn't complicated and life was simple, God wouldn't have written the book of Proverbs for us. 
God would have given us a couple of laws and he would have left us with a very, uh, with just with the 10 commandments and said, go do it. But God gave us books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Lamentations and, and the book of James in the New Testament that speaks of the fact that to live well is to learn to thread the golden thread through the various situations of life and to take into account so much of the complexity of life into account. I honestly wish I could say, hey, the society I live in, even the church I live in, is just we're just doing fantastically well. But I think that we could all probably take a moment to slow down and go, how am I doing when it comes to living wise? I'm giving a sort of generic introductory talk to the, the need for wisdom. And then each week we're going to look at different aspects of wisdom and our need for wisdom. I think of uh, what I've already mentioned, our, our ability to conflict. I think we live in a world that just loves to get out of the car. And if we don't get out of the car and box, we love to watch it and to see what's going to happen. But is there a wiser way? Is there a better way than, than fight or flight to sulk and just shrink away from the person who hurt me or annoyed me to, to ghost them and never talk to them again? Is there a better way to learn to engage, to learn to work through things? Is there a better way than just avoiding is there a better way than manipulating people to just do what we want? What about in our decision-making, our processing of the really complicated and sometimes even not so complicated decisions of life? It's amazing how so many of us, even in this church, seem to make really big, really life-changing, even community-shaping decisions in isolation with so little wise counsel involved in those things. The book of Proverbs is going to wash you with this challenge that if you're making decisions alone without wise counsel, you are being a fool. I think of dating and singleness. The, the, the radical intensity with which so many people rush head, headlong into deep and intense relationships, then learn to d kind of pull themselves out so quickly and have this ability to get headlong in, fall in love, fall out of love, and coaching their hearts to become hard and in desperate need of love all at the same time. Is there a wiser way? Is there a wiser way to learn to, to find who your life partner may be? Or parenting. Think of the, the models of parenting out there. There seems like there's the, the parenting model that is all about kind of helicopter. The new term is not helicopter parenting. It's called snowplow parenting, where you literally plow all the obstacles out of the way, and you make sure that the kid can walk without any obstacles, and they just used, get so used to the good life, the easy life, because mommy and daddy made sure that nobody gave any trouble to us. The teachers are giggling as they have all the scrapes of plows over their faces. <laughs> the other side of parenting is the kind of sense of, sure, what are these expensive people doing in my home? <laughs> kind of aloof, wishing that you, or kind of wondering, how did they arrive? These ankle biters who tend to just spend so much money, not realizing that there is a huge entrustment under our roof to be able to develop and produce wisdom, to cause people to grow up and to one day leave our home and say, that person is wise. That child is no longer a child. They are a man. They are a woman of wisdom. What about our own personal growth and our own teachability as people? Our own humility, 
that the book of Proverbs just speaks so much about who you're becoming and the wisdom of your own teachability, your own openness to learn. I, I, I don't know in society if we've ever been quicker to point fingers, and I think the news hasn't helped, to go, look what's wrong, look what's wrong, look what's wrong, and not realize that there's still so much that I'm participating in that wrongness. It's wisdom. What about our finances? The most indebted nation. We love credit and we hate responsibility and stewardship. That's the story of South Africa. Maybe it's not your story, but the book of Proverbs is not only about, hey, I'm fine. The book of Proverbs is about, hey, how do I help? How do I become a person who doesn't just have some wisdom, but is learning to get the wisdom that others have and to give the wisdom that I have? And to become a communal sharing journey about teaching one another how to thread the golden thread through life of the wisdom of God. I think there's nothing honestly more thrilling in life than to learn the wonderful gift of threading the golden thread of wisdom. The, the kindness of, of God and the mercy of God and the truth of God into life situations. It becomes a kind of glorious king, uh, kingdom hobby where you begin to go, we could just carry on the way we've always done it. Or we could ask God's wisdom into this thing. And we could let God teach us a new way. We could do something a little different. So let's step back for a moment. Uh, when we did uh, the survey and all uh, 80 odd of you filled out your survey, one of the big questions you kept asking is, teach us to read the Bible. We want to read the Bible better. We want to learn how to read the Bible. And so I want to do a little moment where we look at the book of Proverbs, which we will look at for a while, and just ask the question, how do you read the book of Proverbs? It's important to realize that this book was written mostly by King Solomon. He's the second king in, in the line of David. It was David, then it was his son Solomon, and Solomon would have watched his father in all of his brilliance leading a nation, and he would have learned a whole bunch. Solomon uh, did an amazing job of building the temple, and uh, by all accounts, many people said, this guy is one of the wisest around and so there was huge amounts of wisdom in King Solomon. He was a solid leader, and he seemed to have an amazing ability to write down incredible thoughts. There does seem that in the book of Proverbs that other contributors also over the years of, of Jewish history added in. But what's important here when you're reading the Bible is to realize that not every book of the Bible is the same. You've got different styles of literature when you read the Bible. I don't know if you knew that, but it's not just, you know, read one, read them all. You know, if you're reading the Psalms, you're reading poetry. If you're reading Genesis and Exodus, you're reading narrative, story. It's telling something about what happened. And you can literally read a wonderful story about stuff that happened, often not so wonderful stuff that happened, but it's the story of God being thread through in a narrative way. So there's different types of literature. There's narrative, there's poetry, there's historic literature. That, you know, you look at the book of Kings and it's trying to track all the kings of Israel. There's prophetic literature. You think of Isaiah, Jeremiah, those kinds of books. And there's major prophets and minor prophets. When you read those, these are guys who are bringing uh, words of God to a particular space in a particular time. And you're asking the question all the time when you're reading those guys, what was that prophet? Who was he speaking to? What was going on in the nation when he said that? What kind of expectations were going on? So you're reading each book differently. One person describes the Bible like a puzzle, and each piece will help you interpret another piece. Every piece is different, but it will help you make sense of the whole. 
When you get into the New Testament, you get the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are kind of narrative stories about Jesus. Then you get the epistles. The epistles are letters that are written to different churches. A guy, usually named Paul, who loved the churches that he planted, writes letters to the different churches. And so you're reading a letter. You're reading a letter to understand, what was he trying to tell those guys in that time? You've got to understand, what are you reading? What we're reading here is something called wisdom literature. Wisdom literature exists in about three or four books in the Bible. Ecclesiastes is another one. Um, I mentioned it earlier. Lamentations has bits of it. And then James in the New Testament, they say, is kind of the New Testament version of wisdom literature. So when you're reading wisdom literature, you're not reading narrative. You're not reading the commands of God in Exodus. Let me give you an example to help you understand what it's like. If you can go to this one. Exodus 22 verse 25 says this. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him, and you shall not exact interest from him. Okay, the book of Exodus is a group of people who are learning to be a nation uh, called the nation of Israel, and they get a command from God which says, if you're going to lend some money to a friend, don't charge him interest. It's a rule for life. Don't charge interest. You're going to, you know, it's, it's a bad thing to do. Listen to the Proverbs version of this. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Can you see this is something different? This is a proverb. This is a piece of wisdom which says, yeah, you know in Exodus it's a bad idea. It's not allowed. God says don't charge interest. But here's the why. Here's the wisdom behind the command. Here's what happens. You see, power dynamics happen. When somebody is wealthy and they've got money and a person is in need and is poor, there is a power dynamic that can enslave the poor person to the rich person. And so the proverb says, be careful how you give and be careful how you lend because you could end up not even realizing it, but as you give, you actually turn a friend into a slave. You turn a friend into a person who now has this weird power dynamic going on in your relationship. Be careful and wise about the way that you lend. It's not just about whether or not you do interest. It's about how these relationships are affected now that money has been transacted, now that you are in a position of power having this. You see, that's what's going on here. The, the book of Proverbs is trying to say, this isn't a rule for everything you do. This is wisdom to apply to the complex dynamics of life so that you can thread that golden needle with precision and care and mercy and love in every different situation in life. You with me? Cool? You wanna live wise? No. Sound boring. Maybe on that point, I think sometimes we think wise and we think old people or we think you know, intelligent people. I want to push back on the notion that you need a degree to be wise or that you need some kind of uh, impressive intellect to be wise. That is the opposite. There are some really intelligent, really wealthy people who are profoundly unwise. And we need to undo that notion that maybe if you've got a gray beard or you've you know, got some sort of degree that you are a wise person, or even if you've got a huge library of books, you can have all the education in the world but not necessarily be wise. You might not be able to scrape two pennies together and have profound wisdom 
in how to live. So how do we approach wisdom? Let's look at the Proverbs and, and ask the question, how do we approach wisdom? What is, the, what is the counsel as the writer, and Solomon in chapters one and two is most likely definitely the writer here, and it says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction and prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. So firstly, how do we approach wisdom? We approach it by realizing that all of us want to and need to want to gain wisdom and instruction. There is a book in the scriptures, in fact, the whole of scripture has been given to us to gain instruction, to gain wisdom, to get words of insight. We can do it. In chapter two, verse three, it says, indeed, if you call out for insight and you cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. I have one particular daughter who loves to sit on the couch and say, I'm hungry. <laughs> and I find myself going, we've got lots of food, just go get it. The, 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 what she's really saying is, make me food. <laughs> And I'm a dad who doesn't bow to that too easily. I don't mind making food. But in so many ways, we live in a world that says, it's so unwise. And the Proverbs say, go find it. Go get it. It's there. It's available. If you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of Lord, the Lord and find the knowledge of God. What God is saying is he's saying there's a pantry full of wisdom. There is a cupboard that you can open up and you can feast yourself on his wisdom, but you need to go search for it. We spend so much time trying to earn money, searching for an income, trying to search for great grades and do amazingly at school and impress people around us and make sure that we set ourselves up for a great future. And the writer to his son in the Proverbs says, son, there's something more important. Girl, there's something more important to do with your life. Find wisdom. You might get your degrees. You might get the person of your dreams. You might get the house you always long for, but you might not get wisdom. That's a tragedy to this writer. That's a, a terrifying thought. And I think we're watching the world live that out over and over. I love uh, chapter four, verse seven. We didn't read it, Tara didn't read it, but I wanna put it there because it's, it's, uh, its bluntness is disarming. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Though it co co cost you all you have, get understanding. He does, he, he's like, okay, I'm, I'm done with getting fancy and using all these fancy terms. Here's the beginning of wisdom, get it. Do everything you can to just go out there and get it. I think of two terms that I think I kind of I pick up as I read this. The, the terms are hungry and humble. Are you, are you hungry for wisdom? Do you want to get it or would you hate to have your way of life changed? Would you hate to be told how to do something if you've been doing it this way for so long? He writes and he says, get ready because wisdom is gonna teach you to do things a little differently to maybe be a little open to some fresh teaching on how you could engage with different aspects of life. 
Begin to get hungry for a, a, an openness to maybe learn something from other people. And then he says, and also get humble. 2 verse 1, he introduces this whole thing and he says, my son. He's writing from an experienced person to a less experienced person, with a person with some wisdom to a person with less wisdom. And I think we just hate the notion that I have need and somebody else has something I could get. We just hate receiving. Honestly, I think we as a generation, when it really, really comes to the crunch, are just terrible at receiving. And I mean, think about it. There's so much available, but we just don't always want to take it. And what he's doing here is he's saying, son, I've got something for you that you could get over and over. The treasure chest of wisdom is ready to be opened, and you can take as much of it as you want. The best things in life are actually free, and wisdom is one of them. But do you have the humility to play the son role, to play the daughter role, to actually go, you know what, let me help you tie your lace. We're all a little like my kids and, and probably all our kids, but you try to help and you go, just, can I just do one for you? I know how to do it. I'm pretty sure you don't know how to do it. I know how to do it. Okay, well, show me. Told you. <laughs> but we like that with our, with our relationship with God so often, with our relationship with others, and, and we isolate around the sense of, I know. This is not necessarily the older to the younger, by the way. This is a, a journey of saying there are some, God has everything I need. Some people have wisdom that I need, and I am willing to take on the, the kind of role of child to parent if there is something I could learn from someone. Uh, Andy and I do a check-in uh, every couple of weeks. All the staff, we sit, uh, well, in this case, we went for a little walk, and uh, we say, how are you doing? What, what are you learning? What could, how could I help you? What, how am I doing? What could I learn? How could I help you? And um, it's actually, there's always a little bit of vulnerability, right? Whenever you ask that question, how am I doing and how could I help you? Um, that question comes with like a gulp. What are you going to say next? So Andy says to me, well, actually, I didn't even ask him how, what I could do. He just volunteered it, which was also fairly interesting. So he says, well, you know what you could be doing better? I said, oh, no, what? He says, your videos. He says, my brothers and I. He says, when you send out videos, we all go, oh, I see creepy Roger's back. <laughs> Not cool, eh? So what do you do when your 17, your junior, gives you feedback that your videos are creepy and you've got some work to do? You either get offended and put him in his place and you reduce his salary, <laughs> which is all going to happen, <laughs> or you try to say, God, what's wise? And you listen. I mean, it's a bit of a humorous example, but it's still humbling to go, oh, I missed something. I want to learn. I'm actually a little behind the curve when it comes to making videos. Give me some advice. Tell me what I could do better. Help me to do this thing in a way that would serve other people. Help me to do this thing well. And I wonder if we even put ourselves in places often enough where we could hear that and be open to the feedback. 
It's a fun example of something that I think is, uh, we, so, we so carefully avoid actually hearing that kind of feedback. I want to encourage us that as we seek wisdom, I, 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 that we don't now get into the thing, and I've, I've had this in the church so often, do we have a mentorship program? Maybe that's the first thing you're thinking. We need a mentorship program, and then, uh, you know, some people can mentor me or others into kind of wise living. Cool, I don't mind. I'm not going to pick a fight with people who want to mentor. But what I will say is that the mentorship program that often ends up happening becomes a kind of way of getting a, a sense of buddy-buddy sentimentality. What I would say is if you want to mentor, go meet some people. Seek out wisdom like you're seeking for hidden treasures. There is wisdom in this community beyond your wildest dreams. I don't want to exclusively give you one mentor that no one else can have. If you want it, go and get it, my child. Seek out wisdom like treasure that's been hidden. Go and find it. I don't know anyone in this community who, if you said, can I take you out for a coffee? I've got some questions about how to face my singleness. I've got some stuff, and I heard that you were single for a long time, and I am just going through all kinds of tricky questions about what it means to be a good single, and to honor Jesus, and to live wise, and to not have my heart, you know, doing the things it's doing. Coach me on becoming a good single. Coach me on becoming a person who understands dating rightly. Can I just pick your brain for an hour? And then I want to talk a little more over the weeks and months, because I don't know how to do this thing. Would you help me with that? I've never heard anyone say, you're dreaming, mate, I've got no time for you. The question is, is do we have the humility and the intentionality to seek it out, to ask those questions? I'm happy to do parenting courses. We do them from time to time as a church. But if you think that in your three to six week parenting course, you're gonna somehow miraculously become a brilliant parent, you are smoking your socks. It's impossible. You need people who have done parenting. You need to watch them. You need to ask. You need to learn. You need to read. You need to seek it out as for hidden treasures. You've got to find it like a son who loves learning from his dad, like a daughter who loves learning from the elderly and go, teach me. I want to learn. I want to grow. It's not about having a course that will feed you and make you fat. It's about having a hunger that you will search for the stuff that you need so that you'll become the best version of whatever role God's called you to be. If you're in debt or you're struggling with your finances, we can do a finance course and we can tell you everything, but it won't make you wise. You need to seek it out. You need to sit with someone. Hey, the vulnerability of the first time I went, look at, look at my figures. <gasps> Have you ever done that? Did someone look at the numbers? Like, oh my goodness, I really do spend that on flat whites. Oh, Jeez, I did not think that through. Or help me. I, I just don't know how to, to get out of this debt. We've got amazing people in this community who will walk you out of debt. I think there are more people in debt than, are, than there are people willing to say, help me get out of it. And I think there are more people who would love to walk you out of it than you can imagine. Would you seek the wisdom of God? You're not that far from it. It's really close. It's really available. Let's land by just asking, well, where is the source of wisdom? Verse uh, 6 of chapter 2 says it like this. The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. 
I love this. This is the, the quick and easy answer. Where do you get wisdom from? You get wisdom from the Lord. But there is a maybe slightly more nuanced answer to this. And I want to invite us into a little bit of a dig through the scriptures and, and piece together some of the puzzle of wisdom. You see, the book of Proverbs was written probably a thousand years before Jesus arrives. And uh, you've got this book that's written trying to coach the people of God, uh, the, the nation of Israel, to live wise in a, in a world gone wild. And they, they're trying their best to bring that, that Eden experience back to earth. And, and they keep fumbling and they keep failing their way through. And eventually God says, I am going to send my son. You just can't seem to pull it off. And the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior who was actually meant to be Israel, Israel were meant to bring Eden back to the world. They were meant to do what and be the people of God who would, who would restore that Edenic joy back to society and back to the world. And they just keep fumbling. They keep tripping over themselves. And eventually God says he would always, he does what he always promised he would do. He would be the fulfillment of Israel's inability to be to the world, the savior they needed. And in comes Jesus. And in, in Proverbs chapter eight, now I want you to listen because this is important. In Proverbs chapter eight, verse 27, it says this. I, now I, in, this, in the context here, he, wisdom has been personified. Let's go back to English lesson. Personified means when something is taken on a persona. So right now, wisdom is a person, okay? And in fact, it's a she. So I was there... I, wisdom, was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundaries so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Wisdom was there when? When the world was being made. Listen to John chapter one. This is John writing about Jesus who arrives a thousand years later. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God, i.e. the word was there with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Are you picking up a little bit of a picture here? Wisdom was there when the world was created. Now we look at this John who's writing about Jesus and says, the world was made through Jesus. Hebrews 1 says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And listen to this. And through whom he also made the universe. You need to stick with me here. You need to focus. I know it's hot, but listen. Proverbs chapter eight says that he was there. Wisdom was there when the world was created. John chapter one and Hebrews chapter one says Jesus was there and was participating in the creation of the world as the son of the father, as the delighting part of the Trinity. What do we learn from this? Well, we learn basically that wisdom was there at the very creation of the world. That by the, the, the wisdom of God, the world came into being. Life and, and growth and flourishing is a product of the wisdom of God. What a wondrous thought. Live wise and the green shoots of life will begin to blossom all over. What an amazing thought. But secondly, 
Jesus himself is the embodiment of wisdom. Jesus himself is the one through whom the world was created. He's the one who was there at the creation of the world. What John and the writer to the Hebrews is saying is that Jesus himself is wisdom. He is the expression of wisdom. If you've seen Jesus, you have seen the embodiment of perfect wisdom. And so we're moving ourselves towards the communion table today. And I don't want to disconnect this search for wisdom as some sort of you know, self-discovery journey that I'm taking us all on. And we're all going to find out how to discover ourselves and live the wise lives we were always meant to live. No, no, this is about discovering Jesus. This is about discovering the one who was there at the beginning, who was the embodiment of wisdom when the world was created. This is the one who looked upon the world and all its brokenness and its sin and its inability to live wise, and he said, I will do the wisest thing possible. I'll die on a cross that I might reconcile them back to myself. I will bring back Eden by dying and then resurrecting and becoming the life that they so desperately need. And Jesus, on the night before he was crucified, he said to his disciples, this is my body, this is my blood, it's shed for you. And Jesus, the embodiment of wisdom, says, come to me. In John chapter six, he says, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you've got no life in you. You can't have wisdom until you've got Jesus. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, this is symbolic, of course, has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Don't get caught up in the, the, the kind of realness of that. He's saying, you need to eat of me. You need to feast on me. You need to feast on my love, my amazing sacrificial love. I'm the only one who, in wisdom, came to me and said, what's the best thing to do for humanity? The answer was, die in their stead. Do for them what they could never do for themselves. If you think of wisdom as some aloof person who sits from a distance and tells people in a sage-like voice, this is what you should do next, you're missing wisdom entirely. The greatest expression of wisdom was when God stretched out his arms on a cross and died beautifully and profoundly and gruesomely so that we wouldn't be punished for our sins, so that we could receive the embrace of God. So what we're gonna do now, and I'm gonna ask uh, Carol to come up, is we're going to move to the communion table. And what we're going to do is, we're gonna do something that uh, the church have been doing for centuries, is one, we're gonna take communion. But we're also gonna do it in a way that the church have been doing for so long. It's called confession and repentance. We're going to confess to God those things in our lives that we have missed. Done. We've, we've misrepresented God. We've, we've looked in the wrong places. We're going to confess and repent of finding uh, wisdom in all the wrong places. We're going to confess and repent of our lack of wisdom. Maybe there's been times, even this week, we go, I just wasn't wise. We're going to confess and repent where maybe we haven't desired wisdom quite like we should have. I want you to just go to the table and I want us to remember the, the broken body of Jesus that we might have him the shed blood of Jesus that we might know that the punishment that sinners deserve is no longer ours. Just take that in for a moment. The punishment that you and I deserve for the unwise lives we've lived, 
is not going to be brought upon us. Feeling guilty for being the, the bad friend or the average parent or the student or whatever else it may be. The punishment you and I deserve will not be wrought upon us. As you crush that bread, remember he was crushed so that your punishment would go upon him. It's a remarkable thing when the Holy Spirit helps you to get that you are guilt-free. And then when you confess and you repent, it's your way of saying, wow, thank you. You took that on yourself. All my unwise life, you took upon yourself. I don't want that anymore. I'm not going to pay you back because I never could. But I am going to turn from it. And I want to live your way. I want to find your wisdom and I want to live it as best I possibly Thanks so much for joining us today. In Common Ground Bloberg, we prize seeing information turned into revelation. In other words, a deep heart understanding of what we've heard. Why don't you take a moment now to just prayerfully consider what information have you heard that you're trusting God to take deep into your heart and turn into revelation that'll shape your life. Have a fantastic day.